Chelsea, what have you been reading lately? Uh, well, not enough, I'll say that. Why? I don't know. I had a goal. I do know why. I had a goal this year that I was going to read. I think last year I read 120 books, so this year my goal was 140. I thought, you know, why not? You want to beat your personal best? Yeah. And I think 120 is certainly my personal best from last year. Is the goal to read more the most yeah it's not necessarily like like I do have goals for content what I want to to read but more so the goal is just read as much as possible like be reading choose reading over other things because I feel smarter when I read Mm, yeah that's nice (laughs) but I did not read as much as I wanted to this year I only got through I think I lowered my goal to 100 and then I only ended up getting to I think I'm gonna hit 60 um, which is really unfortunate because I was doing really great in January. I read like, I think I read 20 books in January. No, I read like 13 books in January. And then I found that I was just reading longer books and mm. books that you don't sit and just like binge for, mm-hmm. you know, four hours at a time. Mm-hmm. So last year I read a lot of like fluff or just like the free ones that Kindle gives out on, on like your prime or whatever. Uh, and so I was reading books that weren't very good, but they were quick, easy, fast reads. Mm-hmm. And often they were ones I'd already read. I'd just reread mm-hmm. them. Um, so they're super quick. And then this year I read more like, literature. I read better books and in doing so read way less books. So probably quality was better, but quantity was much, much, much lower. And, and I think that's time. Reading is both to make you smarter and an enjoyable thing to do. So there's like quality versus quantity, but also it's like quantity can be a measure of how much you're enjoying yourself. Yeah, I think like I wasn't finding as many books I wanted to read that badly. So, and even books that I'm like the one I'm reading now, I'm enjoying it, but I'm not sitting and binge reading it uh, where before, like some books I'll sit down and I'll just be like, I only really just want to read this book. Like the story is so engrossing that I just want to read the book. I don't want to pick up Netflix. I don't want to do anything else. But then the books, some of the books I've been reading recently are like, they're good while I read them, but they're not ones that I'm like, I'm going to sit on the couch for four hours and binge this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And instead I go to Netflix. (laughs) And sometimes those are a mark of good quality literature. Like if you have an amazing anthology of short stories, it's you can't binge read short no. stories, right? Or if you're reading on, like, a difficult subject, you can't. It's hard to sit emotionally for long periods of time. So what are you reading right now? So right now I'm reading Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. He's an Israeli writer, um, like a historian, natural historian, scientist. Uh, and it is it's fantastic. Um, I had started reading it actually a few weeks ago, and then I lent it to someone who then read it and I wasn't sure I wanted to read it but mm-hmm. then the person I lent it to was like this is a must read like you mm-hmm. must must go back mm-hmm. to this I was like all right got it um so uh I lent it to Colin your partner and he was telling me that while he was reading it he had a lot of intense feelings about it not necessarily the, the text but about like the emotional response that he was having to the yes text. I remember this he was very emo about <laughs> during this period of time. He was, yeah. And he was sending me text messages all the time, like, of lines from the book. Mm -hmm. And I would read them, and it would be things, like, basically he would send me a thing being like, why? Why are you making me read this? Why did you show this to me? Look at, look at what this says. This is so emotional. This is so intense. And I'd be Mm -hmm. like, I don't, I didn't get there. Like, I don't, I didn't know. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, So he sent me one where it reads that 
basically he said, the author says, we may be fast approaching a new singularity when all the concepts that give meaning to our world, me, you, men, women, love, hate, will all become irrelevant. Anything happening beyond that point is meaningless to us. That is a line from the book. Yeah, that seemed to be a thesis of the book where everything was so great, but so bad and so meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. And I... Do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. There's another quote that uh, Colin pulled that really, like, summed up sort of what it makes you feel, but it goes, there is no way out of the imagined order. When we break down our prison walls and run towards freedom, we are, in fact, running into the more spacious exercise yard of a bigger prison. And, like, that, that really sums up, like, his overarching thesis which is just that like basically his whole point through the book is to display natural history and talk about history and the you know history of human beings or sapiens in a way that's like you know I'm not commenting on whether we were good or bad or I'm not commenting on whether or not we made the right decisions or the wrong decisions but what I am commenting on is like this is how it is as bluntly as I possibly can this is how it was this is how it is we can only make so many inferences so like inferences aside going purely off the science these are the things that happened these are the things that we did this is what we continue to do this is what we base our life on this is the type of meaning we try to take from things that otherwise have no meaning and like what is the point of it all so yeah that reminds me of um the exhibit at the art gallery of ontario right now the ago Mm. um anthropocene by canadian artists edward bratinsky jennifer batchwell bikewell oh no i apologize and nicholas depensier um which was also a commentary of these really surreal and beautiful and intense large format photographs of um, like mining sites, of tailing ponds, of um, oil rigs. And they too claimed that it was supposed to be neither good nor bad, but just to bear witness. Um, But the feelings that it engenders is just like, oh my gosh, like, what are we doing to the earth? Like, we're having this, like, kind of with industrialization and technological advancement, this epoch in time, like, in, like, the time of the universe, where humans are going to leave this tiny, tiny footprint in, like, the span of millions, hundreds of millions of years. Um, But we're going to have still this just, like, layer of how we, like, drastically and dramatically and terribly affected the world. Yeah, I think, too, like, the when you read the book, and I mean, when you look at the, the art, you are sort of expected to, I guess, like, look at it in a bit like of a negative way, like it almost is like depicting what what we perceive to be sort of like negative or like a, a pessimism in a sense. But I think it, a bigger question that it speaks to is sort of like, if, you know, what um, Harari is trying to do in his book or what these artists are trying to do with their art is just show sort of like the basis of reality or what they perceive to be reality. For sure. Why are we then like reading this or seeing this art and like I think it speaks more to us that that is negative. Like when did reality become negative? Exactly. Why is it pessimistic to look at reality the way it really is instead of like glorifying everything what we you know Mm -hmm. we do. So I think it actually speaks more to humans that we we can't just like read about the history of the world and think that's just how it is. It doesn't have to be negative or bad. Like 
you know, and that's why we color over everything. And in fact, mm-hmm. it, it probably is why we're not able to be realistic about the climate change happening and be realistic about what type of world and, you know, what capitalism is doing or whatever it is. It's why I think we aren't able to be realistic about that without being like, oh, you're being too pessimistic or you're being negative. Like you're a nihilist. Like, mm-hmm. ah, maybe not. Like, Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head exactly that there's this cognitive dissonance in you and me and probably the large population on average where like the reason that those that imagery in this book is so um surreal and then it kind of just like pulls at your heartstrings you're just like oh um is because that's really what the state of the world looks like right and we've either you know swept it under the rug or have decided to be more more or less ignorant about it and so you know like I don't you know when you live in the big city, you don't see industrialized areas. You don't see those places um, across the world, um, even though we live in a time of globalization. Yeah. And it's like, it's like kind of full circle, right? Because we are like so technologically advanced now and so globalized, but at this cost that we, yeah. at the same time, it's all connected. Yeah. And like one of the ways that this is probably like most pronounced for me and day-to-day life or in real life, I guess, is like, so I've been to New York a few times. I've driven through the States a few times and like driving through New Jersey, for example, Mm -hmm. when I drove through New Jersey to get to New York, there were some areas that we drove through where I, you know, had some pretty negative thoughts where I was like, this place is like not nice to look at, or it makes me feel very depressed to drive through here. And I wonder, you know, how could people live here? And like, this is, this is just like, I get uh, feelings. Um, and, and I, you know, in, in hindsight or in those, in those moments, I often just like want to close my eyes. I want to not look. And something that I think we forget, um, or like I certainly forgot driving through that is like, you know, this is the reality of these areas of like what these people do on their day-to-day lives and how, mm-hmm. how they have to live and how they choose to live sometimes or how do they don't choose to live. And while it may not look, you know, glamorous, it's not like a city life. It's not like a, it's not a cookie cutter like neighborhood it doesn't mean that those lives are any less meaningful to the people who live them or that their relationships are any less meaningful or that they don't have happy full lives or whatever it is for them. Right. And sometimes they don't have happy full lives. And and that's also like a, a thought, but sometimes they do. And it driving through New Jersey, I it shouldn't be like, Oh, I feel so sorry for all the people who live here. Like I right. certainly don't think they feel that way. But you're also di- directly connected to that, whether it's like whatever the industry or trade is, textiles, clothing, steel work, yeah. um, which goes into your infrastructure and the city that you live in, so on and so forth. Like, right. It's like, we're still connected to those people on a level that we don't quite understand or conceptualize. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's kind of to go back to the book, like that's sort of a thing you can, you can pull from the novel, which is just like, or it's not a novel. It's like a, it's like a, historical yeah. nonfiction. Nonfiction, <laughs> historical nonfiction, like scientific historical nonfiction, mm-hmm. natural history. Um, so something that you can pull from the book is is that idea of like we are all connected, but also like those connections are only as meaningful as we make them. And then really like the underlying root is that everything can be kind of meaningless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that just philosophically that comes so full circle too because when you look for meaning – if, like it's so Nietzsche, right? Like if you stare too long into the void, like yeah. then yeah, 
then meaning is meaning. meaningless. Yeah, because, <laughs> well, it's similar to, like, when people say, you know, I wish there was no bad in the world, but without, like, dichotomy or without, like, mm-hmm. night and dark, there's no such thing of one or the other. Mm-hmm. Like, there has to be meaninglessness in order for there even to be meaning, mm-hmm. I guess. Like, to, right. to create anything, you have to really, like, have its opposite. What's that in science, having the, like... Like, even matter and antimatter. Like, everything has mm. its, like, you know, theoretical... Equal and opposite equal force. Equal and opposite force, exactly. Um, and so I think when he's sort of describing this, like, meaning of the world, he's not actually saying the world is meaningless. He's saying that, like, when you think about these things and you force meaning into things that don't necessarily have that kind of meaning or you, you know, require something to have a positive meaning or you, like, when he talks a lot in the early... Um, chapters of the book, he's talking about like the original Homo sapiens and how they lived and, and sort of what their their lives would have been like. And he talks a lot about how some scientists or um, anthropologists, uh, sociologists will look back on these people and say, oh, well, let's interpret that, you know, because they did this, that probably they were trying to do this or they were, you know, they had these gods probably or they were doing the social things, whatever. And his point he's trying to make is like, why do we have to do that? Why can't we just look at the history that they display to us, take the information we're being given based on the science or the anthropology or whatever it is, and, like, not try to create fake meaning where there isn't fake meaning or, right. like, take more meaning from something than there doesn't have to be. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's completely, like, how I read into it. I'm sure other people have different interpretations. But, yeah, like, overall, the it's it's not a happy book. It's it's certainly been making me think a lot. But mm-hmm. um, But that's good and important. Totally, yeah. And he's getting at the part where I'm at now. I still haven't finished it. But the part I'm getting to, um, I just recently read about the sort of like they were the homo sapiens of then and then the sort of now the homo sapiens of now. Mm-hmm. And he, he talks a lot about um, the shift from hunter-gatherer life to agricultural uh, life and, and that sort of agricultural revolution. And uh, he talks a lot about how we've treated the earth or how we've treated animals Um and again, he never says, you know, good or bad or right or wrong. He just sort of says, like, this is just how it is. Like, I'm just stating facts. And you sort of interpret as you will. And I've not really in the past little while. Um, I was a vegetarian when I was younger. I was uh, during university, a bit of high school and then most all of university and then became like a pescatarian. And then I just kind of shifted back to eating meat for various health reasons. But reading this book now is kind of making me want to potentially go back to being a vegetarian just like. Uh, to hear it written so bluntly, it's, like, really hard to handle sometimes. You're For like, sure. oh, these are the things we do. Like, these are the lies that we tell ourselves. Yes, yeah, totally. Like, I, I, you know, not to, like, try to change anyone's mind, but, like, yeah, the lies we tell ourselves about how we treat, like, free-range cattle or, like, free-range whatever. Like, I just want to say, like, to, you know people who think that, like, I don't know, prove it. Like, are the animals really being treated that way? Do you know that for sure? Do we know that? Like, is it okay? I don't know. And I don't know the answer to that, but... He's certainly making me shift. Mm-hmm. So generally, that's what I'm reading right now. I'm also reading like a terrible YA fiction novel as well. I always have one YA fiction novel on the go while also having like a solid piece of writing on the go. Um, Balance is key. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm YA fiction read. is good. It's so enjoyable. It's awful sometimes, but it's so Sometimes enjoyable. it's awful. Oftentimes yeah. it's awful, but there are also very good YA fiction. Oh, authors. certainly. Oh, certainly. I actually just recently read, and I wrote a review on my blog. I'll uh, link it in the show notes. Um, I wrote a review of Hank Green's new novel, uh, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing, and his novel is literally an absolutely remarkable thing. Aww. It's fantastic. It's it's so, so, so wonderful. Um, it is no surprise at all that he is John Green's brother because they're, like, 
unbelievably talented. And if What's, I could ever... Uh, tell us more. What's their background? Uh, so John Green wrote The Fault in Our Stars, which is really probably his most famous work, but he also wrote an amazing novel called Looking for Alaska. It's an older, it's definitely older, but it's it's wonderful. So he's written quite a lot of books, John Green, and then they also are big on the YouTube scene. They were some of the first YouTubers, so they have their bunch of channels that they work with. So Hank is a scientist and uh, studies space mostly, I think. So he has, you know, SciShow. They also have um, another couple of channels where they do like educational videos uh, and they're amazing. They're so wonderful. They're both just like super interesting, funny. They have a podcast, like they have so many things. And then this was Hank Green's first foray into writing? Yeah. So basically shifting away from like that YouTube scene and everything, he decided he wanted to write his first book. And so I read it, uh, of course, and it is, it's fantastic. It's so good. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have to say too much about it. If you want to read the the review, um, go for it. But yeah, it's definitely worth a read. So that's a YA fiction that I would say is like, that defines the genre, probably. Like those types of books wow. define what the YA genre should be or could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hopefully moving into the end of the year, I will maybe meet my new redefined goal of 60 books. So. Yeah, predictions. How close are you? I'm close. I think I'm at like 55 and we've got uh, a couple weeks left. So. Oh yeah, you could definitely do it. I mean, we only have two and a half weeks left though and it's Christmas, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. It is hard during the holidays to find time for yourself and to read, but so enjoyable yeah, to good. sit down and read. Especially when it's snowing and you have a mm-hmm. cup of tea mm-hmm. and a book. Really are a few things that are... Yeah. You can find us many places on the internet at our website, semiprotoronto.com, on Facebook at semiprointo, on Twitter at semiprotoronto, and you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found.